0: Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff at Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Today's message is from Sunday, June 20, 2021. Today is Father's Day, and uh, I was wondering if
1: the fathers in the room could stand up so that we can, as a church, uh, thank you for what you do and pray with you uh, for uh, the challenges that comes with that, the responsibilities and so on and so forth. So um, consider this me standing up uh, as a father in the room, any other fathers in the room that, that we can pray with? Amen. Can we just uh, give these guys a hand and uh, thank you for being there. One thing I would like, and and this goes into a little bit of what we were going to deal with today in our sermon. One thing I would like uh, for us to do is to pray together as church, not just have me pray from the pulpit. And so if we could take our time uh, to thank God for for these men in the room serving as fathers to uh, delicate souls, and also pray for, for God to give us wisdom and grace, uh, to give us the humility to seek in repentance, to repent before God and our kids when we fail. And I say when we fail, not if we fail. So if we could as a church, if you could jump in here and you want to pray for these men standing up right now, uh, and then I'll close us out in prayer. Let's, you know, don't go on a 15 minute prayer, you know, just yeah, keep it. Keep it short, and uh, if if you join me, let me open us up in prayer, and I'll give the word to you guys. If anyone in here wants to pray for these men, then feel free to step up and pray, and then I'll close us out as we jump into the sermon and and let the kids go to kids' ministry. So, Father, what a great joy and responsibility that you place on us to serve and to reflect who you are and what you do. Father, it is a burden that can easily cross weak shoulders but at the same time we're here today to sing about to celebrate the fact that you give grace to us in our weakness you strengthen us you give wisdom when we lack it so father i am thankful for the children in this room i am thankful for the fathers in this room i pray that you grant wisdom and grace so that they would reflect who you are and give glory to you our father in heaven Father, as we, as we live in a broken world, we can see so many examples of uh, fathers who didn't live up to reflecting who you are. Your purpose in the beginning was to make mankind in your image to reflect who you are. So, Father, as we dwell on the great joys of fatherhood, as we look around uh, to the various souls that we have under our care to point them to you, What a great responsibility it is. Father, I pray that our children would understand that even when we fail, we still love them. I pray that our children would see that we may be doing an imperfect job, but yet we try our best to reflect who you are to us. You are our heavenly father who never fails. You never fail to guide us in your wisdom. You never fail in your discipline by going too harsh or not harsh enough. You never fail in providing for us and protecting us. You're never distant when we need you the most. Father, would you help us reflect who you are? And as we dwell on the fact that today we are beginning the prayer, our Father in heaven, and what a a timely season to dwell on that. Father, I pray for those in, in this room who may, may be looking at their own lives and, and the word Father doesn't convey positive meanings. It doesn't convey protection. It, it conveys harm. It, it doesn't convey someone who's there. It conveys someone who left. Father, I pray that you would help us deal with that. that we would realize that ultimately, may we run into your arms for everything that we need. Father, give us as fathers the strength to reflect you and the wisdom, to reflect you in everything that we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the kids may be, uh, I'm not going to use the word dismissed, but they can go to the kids' ministry. Um, To start us off, let's read this prayer that we're going to be reading every single Sunday for the next few weeks. This is uh, the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus speaks and he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So welcome to our second Sunday uh, on our sermon series on prayer. Last week, I attempted to give sort of an overview, and introduction as to what we aim to do during these next few weeks. And we're going to be based out of the Lord's prayer for the next few weeks. These, uh, these words may be overly familiar with us. Familiar to us. Um, I remember my dad would pray this every single night when we went to bed. And he shocked me one time when he said, uh, give us today our daily bread. And I was sort of going through the motions. And he said, with peanut butter and jelly. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Oh yeah, this is actual bread. And, and it shocked me a little bit to actually think about the words. Because like, in, in Icelandic too, it's, it's very... What should I say? King James-y? Uh, it's just like, you don't really know what you're saying as a kid when you're saying these things. And I think that can be the challenge we face as Christians when we look at verses that are overly familiar with us. John 3.16 may be one of those verses. Lord's Prayer may be one of those verses. Uh, the Ten Commandments and so on. So our hope is to just settle down a little bit and to focus on what the words are actually teaching us. So today we're focusing on four words in our sermon, our father in heaven. And for some of you, you might be thinking excitedly, oh man, this is going to be the first short sermon I get to experience, to which I say, first of all, ouch, and, and secondly, don't underestimate a preacher's ability to ramble on about the Bible. In all reality, though, there's a lot of things these four words teach us about prayer, about our faith, about our God. And what I hope to get out of this sermon today is the invitation that we would approach God as children, approaching a loving father, that we would be focusing on our connection to God rather than the content of our prayer. Which I see the irony of dwelling a few weeks in the content of the Lord's prayer (laughs) and then asking you not to be overly thinking about the content of the prayer, but the connection we have with God. But I want us to approach him without being polished, without pretense, without trying to be someone who we're not, but rather to approach Him like we would if we were a child approaching a healthy father. Knowing that you belong to a family of faith, of people who are with you in this, and it doesn't matter of all the things that could possibly divide us, that could make us very different from each other, we are united by the blood of Jesus. We are a family by the blood of Jesus. So as we go through this, I want to set up our three main words today and compare them with what they don't say and this is actually a good thing for you to do if you want to read your bible more carefully sorry if you want to read your bible more carefully what's a good thing to do sometimes is to stop just read every single word that you read and think what is the antonym here what is the synonym to this word what a what is the opposite of this word? What is the plural form of this word? What is the singular form of this word? And to work your way through a text that way. And to ask yourself, what would change if I would change this word in the text? And so what I want to do today is take these three words and compare them to what they don't say. To hopefully highlight what our what, what our Lord and Savior Jesus is trying to teach us in the Lord's Prayer. So today, let's start with this. <clears throat> our, our, our prayer today starts with this are not my now what does that teach us I think this is super important in a culture that's very individualistic the Bible as we know it as you read the text of the Bible this can easily be easily missed especially in the English translations not so much in the Icelandic translation But you may not realize this. The Bible is not written mostly to an individual. It's mostly written to groups of people. And so it's a a rather recent idea to individualize the Bible passages. When you see you in there, you think of yourself alone instead of a group of people. Well, we can't miss it here in our teaching because it's very easy to see when he says our, he's using the plural form, Many people. He's not saying my father who is in heaven, but our father who is in heaven. Now, many debate as to why that is. Is prayer more effective if it's more than one person praying? Is it more likely that God is going to answer our prayer, give us the answer that we want? He's going to come in. He's going to swoop in because we had three people praying rather than one. Is God more likely to give attention to it if it's more people and maybe more impressive people than I am? My leaning is that when we pray together, you know, and I pray this for my son Solomon all the time, I'm still praying that God would heal him, do a miracle, because ultimately I know a lot of people know his testimony. I know a lot of people know what he's going through. I know a lot of people know if the sort of negative sides of his statistics. If God were to do something supernatural in that place, it would cause many minds and many hearts to worship him. And I think that's what the purpose of praying together communally is. It's not so that God is more likely to give attention to what I'm saying. It's not because when we have 20 people praying the same prayer, it's more likely that we're going to get the answer we want. So when we pray together, when we share our struggles with one another, God comes in and he moves in that situation. It doesn't just cause me to celebrate. It causes us to celebrate. It doesn't just cause Johanna to celebrate, Kelvin to celebrate, or worship. It causes us to celebrate and worship. It gives him more glory. It gives a community of people praises. And I uh, sort of lean towards that being the case. Because if you read this prayer in context, Jesus is not saying by saying our Father that praying alone is somehow bad. Because the verses before this, he, he tells people to go into a closet where no one sees and pray alone. So he's not saying individual prayer is bad and communal prayer is good. Rather, if we are to be a praying people, we ought to do so when no one sees and also when we're with our family of faith. We ought to pray together, celebrate together, worship together, and worship when no one sees. Our relationship to God should not change on changing circumstances, shouldn't be affected by things that come and go, by people who come and go. We should be known as people of prayer. And what I get out of this when I think of this, that our prayer starts with our, not my, is that the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. This is when we read the Bible, when we follow Jesus, we're meant to follow with a family of faith. We are meant to live this life out in a community. And you can give up all sorts of excuses. And I've heard a lot of them. I've told myself a lot of them. (laughs) Well, Gunnar, I'm an introvert. Anyone in here with that excuse? I'm an introverted person. I don't... uh, I don't like people. (laughs) Just let me be alone with my books. I'm fine. (laughs) I like the prayer closet. Just stop with this R thing. Or... Maybe you're in here and you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you're in here and saying, "Well, <laughs> I've tried living my life with other people. They just—they never help me in my work, in my walk with God. They always seem to let me down." Trust me, I've been there too. I've been at a church meeting where they had to call police. That's messy. <laughs> That's really messy. I've been fed up with church so much. Or he may be in your saying, our churches are filled with hypocrites, to which I say, we have room for one more. You know come and join us. But in all reality, I've heard these. I've told myself these sayings. What I came to, the conclusion I came to was this. Am I going to believe that God knows better than I do how the Christian life should be lived? And when we read our Bibles, throughout our Bibles, you'll see community is expected. We are called to walk with one another, to think about all the one another's of Scripture, carry one another's burdens, love one another, Show patience to one another. There's a good portion of scripture you just simply cannot fulfill if you're going to be living the introverted life, right? You have to be in community. How will you, how will we carry each other's burdens if we never talk? Even that, it's not just about showing up on Sundays. It's about, hey, do I know what's going on with the people around me? Yeah, they're singing the songs, but man, what's going on in their heart? And my hope, you know, if, if you're here and you're living in this country, that one would be that community for you. But as I perhaps challenge you personally today, I want to challenge our church corporately, something that has been sort of pricking in my heart for a few months now. Um, when I read First Corinthians, first of all, if you want to see a messy church, it's not just a, a new phenomenon, <laughs> Read any letter of the, in the New Testament. It's usually written because some church is doing some messed up stuff, right? There's messy churches in the beginning of Christianity as well. First Corinthians, you see Paul in his writing, and, he, you know, and especially when you get to chapters 11 and 12 and 14, he's writing to a people and he's explaining to them that the church isn't a building. It, it is, isn't an institution. It's a family. It's a body. We all need each other, like the arm needs the legs, like the brain needs everything else, you know. We need each other. We need to rely on one another. We need to be built up by one another. And what I see there when I read these chapters is I've increasingly become convinced that maybe the way we do church in the West isn't the best biblical model for doing church. Even even the way we word that, doing church. You know, are we supposed to be doing church or being church? Uh, I was laughing at that even at the, at the signs out on the road. Hey, you come to church? Well, is church something we go to? Or is it the people that are there? Granted, I don't want to be a theological nitpick. I, I'm the one who designed those, those signs anyway. So I'm trying to get a message across. Hey, come join us. But I have increasingly become convinced that we need to view church as a family, not as a corporation, not as an institution, or anything else, a family. Think about this. What is the difference between going to a family cookout versus going to a restaurant? Like, in a family cookout, maybe it's different in different households. If you were in my family and you came to a family cookout and you would sit down and expect to be served by anyone around you and everyone sort of revolve around Gunnar, Gunnar is here, he needs his food, you know all this stuff. People would like slap me across the neck. They would be like, "Get up, help with the dishes," you know. Help. This is a family cookout. This is not a restaurant. You go to a restaurant. That's a pretty normal behavior. You sit down, paying for the meal. You expect to people to do the dishes for you, serve you the meal, so on and so forth. Um, it would be weird if, if I would go to a family cookout and a family member just sort of expected everyone to be served, serving them and that type of stuff because in a family cookout, we're in this together. Yeah, you serve some, you are served, you give some, you get some, you're all in this together. And I think, unfortunately, the way we, maybe we do Sunday gatherings a lot right now is maybe a little bit of a restaurant mentality rather than a family mentality. Right? You can even hear this about how people talk about churches. If they're looking for a church, well, you know, what do they have to offer? Do they have a good kids' ministry for me? You know, is the quality of the sermon good enough? Is the music good enough? I don't know. Do they have nice programs? Is the building comfy? that type of stuff. And I'm not saying that you should just like, suffer every time you gather with a church, right? I'm not saying you should just like for years and years attend a church that's got horrible sermons, horrible music, and just like, no, I belong to this community. It's like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, if, if you never ask yourself the question, how can they serve me, but also how can I serve them? then you might have a sort of skewed view of what a church is. Like when you see a deficiency in the church, do you think they need to get their act together or we need to fix our problems? And all that sidetrack, to bring it back to what I was about to say, if, if we as a church or to operate more like a family cookout rather than a restaurant, how should we functionally pray as we gather? That's, that's why it was probably kind of weird that I threw the ball over to you guys to join me in praying for the fathers earlier, and I hope to do weird things like that more so that we would actually start seeing this functionally as a, a family gathering Of course, there there are problems that are created with if more people come, our church grows, maybe that's not possible anymore, but we're at a size where we can do this. We can functionally pray together. And if we just view the pulpit as sort of like, oh, leave it up to the professionals. There's someone with a microphone that's coming. He's going to do the prayer. He's going to do the preaching. I think we might be thinking of our gatherings more in the restaurant mentality rather than a family cookout. All that to say, when we pray for our missionaries, when we pray for people within our church, when, when we close out our services, I want us to open it up for individuals to join us in praying. Because what we are is a family. That's the idea I seem to get when I read 1 Corinthians And that's what resembles something more like a family cookout rather than a restaurant experience. And when I see Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, and he starts with our and not my, that sort of pricks at me. Can we pray more in the way of saying our Father instead of just praying when we're by ourselves, but also when we are gathering together? And so speaking of a family cookout, the next word in our text is Father not boss. Now, this way of Jesus teaching his disciples to not only refer to God as their father, but also to see him as their father, which by extensions, means they are his children. This is a pretty radical way to pray in Jesus' day and age. If you just stop here for a moment and reflect on what this means and how this should impact us practically, do you think of God as Father? Or do you think of God as your CEO or your boss? Because ultimately, all the way back in Deuteronomy 6.5, a lot of people have this view of the Old Testament that it's all fire and brimstone and all about obedience and no feelings and all this type of stuff. All the way back in Deuteronomy 6, 5, we have this command of God to the Israelites. And what I love there is that he doesn't simply call them to obey his laws. He calls them to love. He calls them to love God with all your heart, your soul, and strength. And you wonder, man, what a weird command a weird command. If I would say, hey, everybody in here, you're called to love me. <laughs> but the Bible doesn't leave us hanging. In First John 4.19, it tells us how we can love, why we should love. We love because he first loved us. So what we see here is Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, And he's not just teaching them to use this new fancy title of father. He's actually calling them to think of God and know God as their real father who's there, who loves them, who cares for them, who leads them, who gives them wisdom when they need it, who provides for them and protects them. To see God as someone who's not just your boss telling you what to do, but someone who loves you. God, the Father is the Father that all fathers are supposed to reflect and to imitate. But the problem is, you may be in here today, and you may hear the word Father, and that word comes with a lot of baggage. You may hear the word Father, and think of moments that are brutal and not beautiful. You may think of the word Father, and you don't think of someone who was there to protect you, but he was the source of harm. And Maybe you, you hear the word Father, and for many of us, we think of someone who provided for us. Yet in reality, the burden, maybe for you, he was the, he was the actual burden, or maybe he wasn't there at all. And so for those of you in here who may, for various reasons, not have physical loving fathers, let me tell you this. You have the perfect heavenly father watching over you, caring for you, leading you on, protecting you, providing for you. And side point that we're not going to dwell on today, but because this is Father's Day, like for the fathers in the room, just let it sink in what a great responsibility we have. I've talked to countless of people who have told me this, that it is difficult for them to think of God as Father because of their past. We have a responsibility to be image bearers of our Heavenly Father and how, you know, what you say and what you do might impact their relationship with God in the future. And maybe you're in here today as a Father thinking about all the mistakes you made. Hope is not lost. Even in repentance, you can point to God the Father. You can point to what He did and how He loves and how He's perfect and how He provides. So what we do and what we say may be a blessing in uh, their view and understanding of God or an obstacle. So which one are you going to be, Father? But here we come down to the main point of today's sermon. We are called to approach God as our Father because This truly transforms how we pray and how we view our prayers. There are two two points I want to make by like how this changes our prayer. When we think of God as Father, there are two things that happens. It reminds us of who God is and whose we are, and it gives us context in our current circumstances. So what I love about this is he starts with prayer and he doesn't start with a laundry list of what's happening and how he needs help and, and everything else. It starts out with reminding him who God our Father is and whose we are. That's one of the things that is so beautiful about prayer. It actually changes me. So when I'm overwhelmed with circumstances it just seem too difficult or too great for me to handle and I stop for a moment, and I remind myself of who he is and whose I am, all of a sudden I'm not there to tell my God how great my circumstances are. All of a sudden I'm, I'm reminding myself of how great my God is, how great his love is for me. And number two, it points to this great reality that is so often missed when we talk about prayer. Prayer is not primarily about the content, but the connection. (laughs) Let me unpack this idea a little bit. So, we live in a world that is drowning in information. I I find it very interesting. The promise of the Enlightenment was you know, if we just have more knowledge, if we just have more information, then everyone's gonna, there's gonna be peace in the world because we're all gonna see the same information and. We're going to agree on everything, right? That was sort of, I guess, the optimistic view of the Enlightenment. And yet, here we are in 2021. I don't know about you, but I'm looking at all the information that we have, just thinking, like, what do I believe? Like, do I believe this source or this source that's completely different? We are living in a society that has had never had more information. We have access to data and content like we've never had before, And I think we're slowly realizing this as a society that content will not satisfy what only connection can create. That's why, ironically enough, social media creates lonely people. Because there's a content there, but no connection. And actually, it kind of disturbs connection. Because social media will connect you to people that are far away from you, But disconnect you from the people that are right in front of you. And we're discovering that connection is irreplaceable. But for many of us, me included, before I started really thinking about how I pray, when it comes to prayer and when we seek to grow in prayer, I think for a lot of us, we don't really think about connection, we think about content. Even, you know, you may be the type A personality and you may have long lists of prayer. And here I'm going to go through this every single day. You know, this is the way I'm going to do it. This is the content I'm going to deliver. But it transformed my thinking on prayer when I started to realize that it's not about the content necessarily, but the connection I have with God, my Father. We may focus way more on what we're saying and how we're saying it rather than who we're saying it to. But realize the transformative power of this one word has on our prayers, our Father. Not our boss, not our genie, not everything else. Now to illustrate what I mean by this point, think about the best conversations that you've had. Think about some of the best conversations you have with the person you love. It's probably going to be someone close to you. I will bet you a 100 kroners (laughs) that it's not a random stranger on a bus. It's probably someone you already have a connection with. And when you think about that conversation, realize that, yes, the content was definitely there. I mean, you went places where never gone before. You may have discovered something about yourself. You may have shared something you've never shared with anybody else. But that didn't happen because you walked into that conversation with a checklist of subjects you wanted to talk about. It happened because of the connection with that person. Maybe it was a conversation that you never had before because now all of a sudden you had a connection with this person that you trusted and you found yourself going to a place where you would never go. But think about prayer this way. So often we go and we pray, and I think a lot of us struggle. Maybe we're bored. Maybe we just we, we finish the content for the day and we don't know what more to say. And it's probably because we're thinking about the content and not who we're talking to. Not the great privilege of talking to God, our Father, who happens to be the creator and sustainer of the universe itself. And he's listening to me, to us. So I see the irony of taking a deep dive into sort of the content of the Lord's Prayer for the next few weeks. But what I really hope you get before going into any of this is this simple yet profound truth that changes everything. We are called to connect to God as children coming to their Father. A father who is perfect in all ways. In all the ways that our physical fathers may have let us down, he does not. Let's think about this for a moment. What does it mean for us to approach God our Father like children? Okay, I'm going to ask an actual question because I know that preachers tend to ask questions that they're not really asking. They're just throwing it out there. But I'm going to ask you to answer this What are some of the words that come to mind when you think about children? This is an actual question. Like I said, this is an actual. Some of the words. Innocence. Innocence. Helpless. Helpless. Noisy. (laughs) Trusting. How many of you have infants right now? Yeah. Messy? Huh? The words I think of is unpolished, unfiltered, <laughs> unafraid. They come and ask for anything. Unpredictable. You have no idea what's going to come out of their mouth next. Right? Ultimately, like I think one of the things that that makes them so innocent It's all these things. They're coming to you without pretense. They're coming to you because they trust you. They love you because they know they're messy. They, they, are, they are helpless. They realize as soon as they need anything, really, I need to go to my dad for this or my mom to, for this. Yeah, And they ask for anything. Hey, dad, can I get a car? No, you're going to kill people. <laughs> And plus, it costs money. Yeah, but I have money in the jar. Yeah, more money. You need more money than that. They come to you, they're messy. And the Bible tells us to approach God like children. And like, like Lynn said, they're helpless. They realize right away, it's not about them. They need someone else to do this for them. And yet, how often do we try to do everything by ourselves? How often is prayer our last resort? When we've tried everything else, when we've said everything we could possibly said, when we've consulted with experts and everything else, then we might turn to God in prayer. Is that the way a child does it? (laughs) No, they run to their dad right away. Dad, can you fix this? I made a big mess. (laughs) God is fully aware of your flaws. Yet the radical nature of the love of God is that he sent Jesus who died for you anyway. That's the craziest thing. Right? You may look polished to us here. You may look great on the outside. Notice Richard has a great suit on. It looks awesome. Every single Sunday it looks awesome. You may be in here and whenever you come, you put on your Sunday best. You, you may fool us. You know, I'm I'm not saying Richard is like, (laughs) everything's going wrong with Richard. But yeah, you may look good on the outside. You may fool us. You may walk in here. We say, oh, that's awesome. He's doing great. Walks out and you still carry this worry. You still carry the sin. You still carry the messiness. But the thing is, you're not fooling God. And no one loves you more than him. Do you realize how freeing this is? That you don't have to pretend. You don't have to polish up. You don't have to come with empty language. All of a sudden, you're speaking like 1,600 English. Oh, thee, our Father, would you send thine Holy Spirit? You know, like, (laughs) I'm not going to go there. He is the same one who died for you. Like, I love this in Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, anyone, can anyone relate to that verse? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The only one who is fully aware of just how messed up you are is him. And yet, he still died for you. He took the punishment of our sin upon himself. Our sins are far greater than we could have ever imagined, but the love of God is far deeper than we could have dreamt of. So why is it that we put on a mask and approach God? Why is it that we don't come to him in awe as our father, and yet we worry about the content and how we deliver it? You don't have to pretend. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to impress Just be impressed by him, your father. And then talking about being impressed, our last word, in heaven, not the sky. There's a difference there. There are generally two misconceptions that happen with people when they hear this word in heaven. Some might walk away with the idea that, yeah, he is a father, but he's a distant father. And others like me who have interacted and maybe been skeptics themselves hear mockingly atheists go, Oh, you believe in the heavenly sky, daddy. (laughs) Let me remind you that this is written by a Jewish person to Jewish people. Their terminology matters here. Like for instance, in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, Paul, I like how it's about, I know a guy. (laughs) It reminds me of this, like how people do, hey, just asking for a friend, how do you do this? When they're talking about themselves. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Have you ever read that verse and be like, what's the third heaven? And and what is the the first and the second heaven? You know, like, what's going on here? Well, if you go into like how a Jewish person would think about these things, When when they're referring to heaven, they're not sort of, and and this is what a lot of skeptics will want to deliver to you. They're they're ignorant people. They look at the clouds in the sky and they think somewhere in the clouds or behind the clouds, that's where God is. But in the Jewish way of thinking about the heavens, there was the first heavens, that was the clouds. There was the second heavens, that was the stars. And there was the third heavens, where God is. What I love about this is what it conveys to us. This concept concept then of a father in heaven is not a distant father. In fact, all of creation exists because he upholds all of creation and with his breath gave life to creation. And more than that, the Jewish people grew up hearing the stories of God interacting in creation, hearing the story of their heavenly protector in the wars and delivering them out of Egypt, their heavenly provider in the 40 years in the desert. This is describing a father with power to uphold creation and intervene in creation, but a God who is not limited by creation. So maybe you're in here today, and maybe you're searching for peace. I want to tell you this. This is what I've discovered so far. Peace cannot be based on your circumstances. Your circumstances are fleeting. They can turn on a dime. You can be celebrating one moment that your child is about to be born, two hours later, wondering if they're about to die. It is terrifying how circumstances can change. But I've learned this, that peace is not about the absence of trouble, but the presence of our Father in the midst of a troubled world. So if you're in here today and you want peace, I'm telling you, it's all about connection with your Father. That is the greatest joy. He is, he is greater than your greatest joys. He is bigger than your biggest challenges. And he walks with you every single step of the way. This is what I find so interesting. The Jewish concept of God involves sort of who is involved in creation but not limited by creation is interesting enough. To, you know. It answers many of the questions that even today we still have. I don't want to go into that. I could black on. I really like to, to view science through the lens of this and everything else, philosophy and that type of stuff. But if you're, if you're that type of person, I would love to talk to you. But you, my dear brothers and sisters, you are known more deeply than you know. All of you are. Your wins, your failures, and yet you are loved more than you could ever comprehend. So let us remember prayer is communal in part. We are loved by our Father who is with us, who is above everything and everyone who may come our way. He is with us through the storms. And probably, this is probably what we need to remember the most, like because it's easy to run to God when life is difficult, but it's easy to miss him when life is going really well. But the grace of God is sufficient for the darkest of days. And the grace of God is also needed in the best of days. We need to remind ourselves of that. When everything is going our way, bank account looks good, we paid all the bills, you know, the kids are behaving like they follow our commands, you know, whatever it is. When life is going good, he is even greater than our greatest joys. So I want to challenge us this week with three challenges like last week. I want to challenge you to examine how you pray. Are you more worried about the content of your prayer without the connection? And number two, if your father in the room evaluate what type of imprint you are leaving on your child as as to what God the Father is like. For all of us fathers to re examine our own lives and see if our experiences have left unbiblical ideas of God in our hearts. And maybe this is for all of us. Maybe not just for the fathers. Maybe for all of us to think what imprint did my father leave on me that is good? And what imprint did he leave that's not good? And number three, I want you to pray about participating more in the prayers as we functionally gather on Sundays, starting like, like right now. Like as we pray, as we close out this service, I want you to think about and pray about joining us in praying, worshiping God, thanking Him for what He's done. And I want us to pray for Fathers in the church, for those who may deal with difficulties seeing God as Father and how that's actually good. And I, I want us to praise, uh, praise Him for what He's done, for who He is. So will we? will you just take a moment and pray with me? Worship God with me? If you're in here, you're welcome. Let, let me start this out, and then after these prayers, we're going to go into communion, and we're going to praise Him even more for what He's done through His Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the peace that comes with knowing you, with knowing that you are with us, with knowing that, Father, in all the ways that I fail as a father to reflect you perfectly, you give grace, and, Father, ultimately, you pursue my children. You fix what I may have done wrong. You know me for who I am, and yet you accept me as your own. Father, thank you for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. Father, I thank you for, yeah, I thank you for my own dad who has covered me in prayer, who has let me, who has shown you and your mercy in a lot of ways when I made a lot of big mistakes. Father, I pray that you would raise up more men who would reflect you, more fathers who would reflect you here in this country. I pray that we would have, uh, yeah, I pray for our children in this church. Uh, For many, it may be just considered a disruption when we hear kids running around, but it reminds me of what a blessing it is, because ultimately there are a lot of churches in this country who have no children running around. And what a, what a joy it is to see some children raised up in the church who get to hear the singing of your people and the prayers of your people. Father, I pray that you would protect their souls. And we ultimately, we worship you, our ultimate Father and King, for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to go into communion. We're going to, during this next song, when you're ready, come take up the elements, and we're going to remember the broken body of Jesus through the broken bread and the blood shed for us. This is for everybody who's a Christian in here. If you are not a Christian, we are glad that you're here, uh, but we don't want you to feel any pressure at all to participate with us. Actually, if you're not a Christian, don't participate with us. Um, it, it would be a mocking of, of what Christ has done. And so this is about his broken body, his blood that's shed for us, um, and uh, this, if you're in here and you're not sure if you're a Christian, it's not, it's not a rocket science. It's, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Meaning that when I stand before the throne of God and I'm about to be judged, I don't come to him and say, look at all the things I did for you. Look at my prayers, look at my church attendance, look at how nice of a person I am, but rather I'm fully aware of my failures and I point to Jesus who died for my sins who took on my punishment. So number one, do you believe that Jesus is your Savior? And number two, do you confess him to be your Lord? Meaning, he rules us. He's not our co-pilot, as the bumper sticker says. <laughs> he is the guy in the driver's seat, and we are in for the ride. He is leading us on. If you have these two things, that makes you a Christian. And if, you have, if, you, if you're a Christian, I want you to celebrate with us. So during this last song, take up the elements and thinking about God the Father and how fathers in one way are supposed to be there as providers. There's no greater point to God our Father providing for us than in Son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life. His life was not taken. He laid it down for us. That's how much he loves us. He is fully aware of your sin. And this is what we celebrate, that he took care of our sin and he loved us anyway. So if you're in here and you want to celebrate with us, and during this song, come and pick up the elements. And after this song, we're going to remember Jesus together. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his willingness to take on our debt, to take on our ultimate disease, take on our punishment. Father, as we go out of here, may we seek, as we reflect on how Jesus laid his life down for us, may we seek to live for him. May we seek to obediently follow wherever you may call us. May we seek to radically love one another and love others as you have loved us. And may we not only sing the songs how peace is only through your son, Jesus Christ, but may we live in this reality to have peace that is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of our Father in the midst of a troubled world. Father, as we go, as we gather as your church, bless us. As we scatter as your church, bless us. Would you help us carry this hope through the sacrifice of Jesus? We stand here made righteous because of you and your work. And we remember And we look forward to seeing our savior face to face, the broken body of Jesus and his blood shed for us. Well, as we go into this week, if you have any prayer that you want to to, uh, share with us and we can pray with you, if you have any questions, uh, then you can see us after service. We have fellowship, so we're gonna have food out here. uh, And uh, you can approach me or Robert, who you saw in the beginning of the service. Um, there's Church Family Lunch, and I want to read this blessing over us as we go into this week. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 As we go into this week, let me just pray that God would use us Father, use us as instruments of mercy. Give us eyes to see the opportunities around us, the people who need love, the people who you love. Uh, help us have your eyes to see and your love to carry along to those who, uh, who need it and even to those who may hate us for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May God bless you and lead you and enjoy
0: lunch been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptista Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with The Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopovor, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. The address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland.